Welcome to episode number 56 of Down the Rabbit Hole. Carl, how are you? I'm very warm. Although oh, I, have yeah. to, I have to say, in the studio, it is nice and cool due to your yeah. efforts with the aircon. Yeah, now we have some air conditioner. Yeah. Feels nicer. Of course, we have to turn it off now when we're recording. Unfortunately, but we're slowly... It's not much. Slowly we'll build up the heat. The temperature is yeah. rising. But of course, outside, it's the summer. It's like 32 degrees or something. At least, yeah. I walked here <laughs> scuttling in the shadows like a cockroach, <laughs> going from shadow to shadow. <laughs> Because... I, um, being English, I'm clearly not built for this weather. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I just get to the point where I can, I think, I can hear my brain fluids simmering. <laughs> and I have this mental picture of my brain bobbing up and down yeah. in this broth uh -huh. of brain fluid. It's not a good feeling. It's not good. Yeah. Anyway. Well, well it's, uh, that was summer. We're exactly in the middle of the summer, I think. Yeah. Uh, so downhill for me. Yes. And if you're new to listen to the podcast, mm. no, we don't talk about the weather. We not, usually not talk about <laughs> science news, sci-fi news, uh, all kind of things related to those two topics mainly. Literally, literally anything that interests us. Yeah, really. something really interesting related yeah. also to technology and so on. Yeah, yeah. And today we have something... Maybe, I don't know if we can call it technologically... Well, we do, we're quite interested in kind of sociological exactly. stuff Exactly, so in the social part as well. A bit of psychology uh -huh. stuff. Not that we know anything about any of this. No. We're just two guys. Well, the title of today's main topic is Fail Your Way to Success. Exactly. And exactly. we will talk about it, but first we have to go through some news. Yes, we do. Let's do it. Yeah. And we have two in very interesting news uh, today. And the first one is uh, related to DNA. Scientists have been able to write into the DNA a GIF or GIF and an image into the DNA of a bacteria. We have talked before about this tool called uh, CRISPR, which is an, a tool for editing the genome. And some scientists decided that uh, they would try to uh, embed this information into the DNA of bacteria as a medium of storage or, yeah, exchanging information. But basically, they did it to see how much information could they actually store in there. So, what they did is, this uh, GIF had five frames of a horse uh, galloping, and they also uh, put in there the image of a human hand. The team uh, extracted after they were able to push all this information out to see if the data was uh, successfully incorporated, being incorporated into the microbes and to see if the re-encoding of that image was uh, with the same quality and nothing was lost. Now, another, uh, the interesting thing is uh, for being able to insert this uh, animated image of the horse galloping took them five days. Five days in which they were uh, frame by frame, frame inserting it uh, in the bacteria. Uh, now, the information is not contained in a single cell. So each individual cell may only contain certain bits and pieces of the movie. So... What they did was to reconstruct the whole movie from all the different pieces. So it turned out also like uh, making a puzzle. When you see the images and check down in the show notes for, for the link to the news, where you can see, first of all, a vi the, the video of the horse galloping and the image of the hand. When we start to compare first the hand to the original for the image reconstructed from the DNA of the bacteria, there's practically no change in anything no extra bits added no extra bits deleted anything looks practically exactly the same i mean i don't see absolutely any difference with it with the movie the animated gif we can see something uh on the original although it's a, of course it's a pixelated image in, in the in the reconstructed from the bacteria 
appeared some extra pixels around, but you clearly see the image of the horse uh, and and the person riding it without any any change into it. So, uh, and they calculated that this was uh, able to achieve with 90% accuracy. And they were actually uh, really, really happy and uh, convinced that this is a very good technique for a future to be able to encode information and store information in our own genome. So that's the reason actually why the researchers use images in the movie. Images because they represent a kind of complex information that could be used. And if you recall, if you have been following down the rabbit hole, some, not some, actually many episodes ago, we talked about a band that encoded the whole album into the into DNA, in a DNA sequence. And to be able to listen to the album, you will need to decode it. And that was actually very interesting because you could now, with this technique, store a lot of information in such a tiny space. Very interesting. And the second news, it's uh, has to do with uh, environment. Earth is becoming pla- uh, planet plastic, says in the article we we are basing this news today. So the scientists have calculated that the total amount of plastic that has been ever made, uh, it's up to up 8.3 billion tons of plastic. That's just incredible amount of, uh, of material being produced. And this has been produced only in the last 65 years or so. So imagine that 8.3 billion tons is as heavy as 25,000 Empire State buildings in New York. Or they made a comparison to a billion elephants. The great problem with plastic is, uh, like the packaging, tend to be used for just such short periods of time and then just get discarded. And more than 70% of the total production is now in, in, the, uh, in, in the waste. Most of it sent to landfills, but even many has been sent to landfills. A lot, and I mean enough of it, is being sent to just litter outside in the environment, including the, o- the oceans. And we often have seen these uh, very sad uh, images uh, of, for example, turtles being captured between plastic wraps, uh, for example, from uh, uh, beer or soda being uh, wrapped around the shell. And... That's why Dr. Ronald uh, Geyer was telling uh, BBC News that they are rapidly heading towards, uh, we, as a planet, are rapidly heading towards planet plastic. And if we don't want to live on that kind of world, then we may have to rethink how we use some of materials, in particular plastic. And along all this, they gave uh, some key numbers. And some of them are scary. So the first one is, 8,300 million tons of virgin plastics have been produced. Half of this material was made in just the past 13 years. Only 13 years. About 30% of the historic production remains in use today. That means that 70% has been discarded already and is out there. Out of the discarded plastic, roughly 9% has been recycled. That's uh, very few. Something like 12% has been incinerated. But 79% has gone to landfill. The shortest use items are packaging, typically less than a year. The longest use products are found in construction and machinery. The current trends point to uh, 12 billion tons of waste by 2050. And the recycle rates in 2014 were Europe, 30%, China, 25%, and the US, 9%. And there's a very interesting comparison if you want to try to find a way to understand how much uh, waste of plastic is there right now. So Geyer and his colleagues say that there is enough waste of plastic 
to cover the entire countryside of Argentina. So the team uh, hope is that the new analysis will be uh, giving some uh, more impetus to the conversation about how to best deal with the plastics issue. So, obviously, there has been a lot of inquiries even from the past saying that, uh, or asking to if it's really the time now to ban the plastic bottles. Change from plastic to uh, crystal bottles and to be able to be more uh, eco-friendly and at the same time, even less, uh, more clean, let's say. And the global waste industry, industry needs to get uh, really everything also together. And companies need to start to find ways to handle all this plastic so we don't end up in a plastified world. So that's, with, that's it with the news. And uh, let's go on to the main topic. Okay, our main topic, mm. fail your way to success. Yes. Because uh, to really enjoy a success first, sometimes for sure you have to go through many failures, failures or little stones on the road. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know. I, you know, um, I, we've discussed this before, I think, and... I'm of the view that mm-hmm. um, achieving kind of instantaneous success is not good for an individual necessarily mm-hmm. because you don't really, in fact, it's generally observed that you don't actually learn that much from your successes. Mm-hmm. You, you actually learn the, the valuable stuff from your failures. Of course. And unfortunately, failure is not a subject that is uh, often talked about. Um, depending mm-hmm. In some cultures and in some countries it is, uh, but in many countries it isn't. And the reality is that taking risks is impossible. Take it, not taking risks. Not taking risks. Try to be safe all the time. Exactly. If, and of course, there is that old saying... Uh, show me somebody who's never taken a risk and you're showing me somebody who's never tried to do anything. Exactly. And essentially, literally anything you can think of that you want to do involves risk mm-hmm. of some degree. Right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why we, uh, well, why I propose this subject for today, for today is that actually we're living in times now where a lot of the old certainties are becoming... Um, less certain, shall we say. Mm-hmm. So there was a time when you would um, get your education, leave school, get a job, and potentially you could be in that job for what, your entire working life. Yeah. These things have gone. Exactly right? is what I was about to say. This is a thing from the past. Yeah. It's We're talking about Exactly, right? even before. Yeah. But mostly our parents' generation, yeah. I think. And before, yeah. And before. Yeah. They were used to, okay, what do I do in life? Yeah. I grow, I go to school, I go to, a, I get a job, I get married, and then I retire, and then I die. Yeah. You pick something. And Simple. You, and off you go, right? Yeah. Now, what has happened with, uh, largely driven, again, by internet technology, I think, mm-hmm. which has brought huge changes to the workplace Mm -hmm. and of course the incursion of uh, technology into the workplace beyond that with um, uh, the gig economy as they call Mm -hmm. it and uh, obviously now we're getting robotics making bigger inroads and potentially AI is doing the same thing so basically what used to be a fairly linear kind of landscape has now become fractured and it's thought that um, somebody leaving university today may well have to retrain up to seven times during their working life. Now, that, that's quite a lot. Yeah. Right? We, and we're not talking about just switching jobs within a career. We're literally talking about switching careers. Yeah. Actually, the big, uh, a huge percentage of people mm. that exit from university don't really do what they studied. No, they don't. And uh, this was, actually, I noticed this even myself when I was exiting university. Yeah. 
some decades ago <laughs> that um you don't actually nowadays get fully ready mm. for a work environment still from university. You don't prepare, don't you? You still have to take a lot of courses and a lot mm. of certifications by yourself. You need to really have the experience of working somewhere yeah. to understand the dynamics of what's mm. going on. So somebody mm. that jumps straight from only school mm. to a job mm-hmm. has a hard time, I believe. Uh, I think so. Now, if you didn't have a hard time, please let us know what was your experience. Uh, well, of course. I that mean, would be interesting to know. Obviously, there are people who yeah. fall on their feet, shall we say, mm-hmm. and everything's wonderful. But generally speaking, that is not most people's experience, is it? Yeah. And so on that basis, we thought we'd take a look at what can you do about embracing risk to a certain degree mm-hmm. because not everybody is happy or comfortable with it you certainly are not taught about it yeah you certainly don't get lessons either in school or in university about how risky the work environment uh-huh. or the job environment is and the reality is that we're now well established in a an age where the uh, conventional career path is fractured mm-hmm. uh, in most certainly developed economies. Um, so what does this mean and how how can we uh, cultivate a habit of uh, risk-taking? We're not talking about reckless risk, risk-taking. We're talking yeah. about, shall we say, calculated risk and how do you set your mind up to do that? And um, there's some very interesting work done around mm-hmm. um, societal acceptance of risky behavior or risk behavior. Mm-hmm. And research, for example, has well established that testosterone levels has an influence, directly <laughs> are directly related with your appetite for risk. And yeah. we'll, we'll give you the links in the show notes, but, and of course, uh, since men tend to have higher testosterone levels than women, uh, men are seem to be more willing to act in a risky way or impulsively or however you want to put it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, again, research has shown that both genders have similar appetites for risk. For risk. Um, I suspect maybe that, I don't know, there's probably a difference in the genders as to how men and women approach risk, I suspect. Mm-hmm. So they may have the same appetite in terms of willing to But take the approach risk. is different. I think maybe, yeah. maybe this is where it yeah. lies. Something interesting is that the result of this study about the testosterone mm. was saying that when people took the risk yeah. and everything went fine, yeah. the testosterone levels raised yeah. and they become more confident. Not, not, a, not a shocking discovery, I suppose. Yes, I think that's pretty normal. Yeah. And actually also the second one is normal in the psychological way, which is when you fail and you're taking your risks, yeah. your testosterone levels drop. Yes. And of course you're confidence starts to be affected. And this is measurable stuff. This isn't uh, an uh-huh. idea. This is... Yeah, the measurable part here is the biological part. Yeah, it is measurable. The mental part, well, I think we knew that was implied yeah. in the risk. Yeah. Well, um, interestingly, uh, when you do have uh, uh-huh. experience failure and your testosterone levels drop, your brain actually tries to prevent you taking further yeah. risks. It's like gets recorded somewhere there. Yeah, and it kind of knows when you're moving into a risk area again. And what it, what your mind will do is actually present you with memories of other times when you failed. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, you can kind of see, it's kind of a, um, a control mechanism, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. a, how shall I say, kind of a, negative or positive feedback mechanism that if you do something that leads to, shall we say, psychological pain, then obviously your, your mind tries to steer you away from it in the future. So, so the, the reality is that we're not all natural risk takers. Some people, I've always considered myself, for example, to be a, 
more prone to take risks. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a brother who is only uh, two years older than me, and he's the opposite. No risks um, at all. He's very risk-averse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, literally, obviously, we were both raised in the same household by the same parents. So mm-hmm. this is the nurture-nature thing. But I have definitely have got this slightly more um, risk-accepting attitude. But the thing is, we're not all natural risk-takers. So for those who are not, are there any ways, are there any techniques or approaches that you can use to actually boost mm-hmm. your capability and it turns out that there are yeah i think the most uh, known mm. and actually we would say uh, normal or more makes most sense is the psychological one of course the mental part yeah i think prepare can- yourself to take that risk exactly i think that's the psychological approach is obviously the most shall we say accessible Obviously, carrying around a mm-hmm. a machine gun would also boost your confidence. <laughs> in I was actually situations. also thinking about you know if it's true that uh, taking risks it's because of the testosterone levels. Uh-huh. If doping yourself with testosterone will mm. boost your way of taking risks, or like somebody was uh, saying as well, mm. adrenaline. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well. These hormones, the yeah. specific ones, are uh, adrenaline and cortisol, cortisol, right? I'm sure you're well aware yeah. of those in your uh-huh. other stuff. Um, but apparently the one of the simplest things you can do to, shall we say, make you more willing or slightly more approaching to the idea of taking risk is, um, has been explained by a doctor... Swart, I think is her name, of... Uh-huh. Zwart or Zwart. Swart, Dr. Tara Swart, uh-huh. a neuroscientist... Oh, from uh, London, yeah. ...and leadership coach based in London. And she uh, says that one of the um, simplest things you can do is actually practice something that a lot of people are aware of, which is uh, mindfulness. So what she says is that... One of the big problems you have when you're contemplating taking risk is that you get a huge amount of, shall we say, noise in your mind. Mm-hmm. She calls it uh, brain chatter, which are like, you know, all these doubting voices, shall we say, and memories and so on and so forth. And what she does in her leadership training uh, is that she um, uh, encourages individuals to practice. Uh, this quietening, silencing of the mind, and that allows you to be more in the present. And once you are more in the present, that is like focusing on the here and now, then you, uh, how shall I say, you kind of push to one side the constant replaying of worries around failure, mm-hmm. Um you know, repeating previous mistakes, blah, blah, blah. Um, And mindfulness and coupled with, shall we say, healthy living, for want of a better Mm -hmm. phrase, have been shown in studies to lead to better controlled levels of these stress hormones, uh, adrenaline and cortisol. And these are the ones that are released when you're under uh, pressure associated with risk. Mm-hmm. So, as you say, taking the psychological approach, mindfulness is clearly a technique that plays into this. And, yeah, that's why actually mindfulness has uh, peaked a lot in in certain circles, especially Very. Uh, business people. Yeah. And in general, even in schools right now. Even in education. In education, yeah. they're trying to teach children about mindfulness. Mm. And I think it's a pretty interesting approach to, I think, to it. I think it is. Mm-hmm. And I try to practice it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are some objections to it uh, because certain, uh, shall we say, special interest groups 
associate it with a religious practice. Yes. And I think it's a bit of a stretch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the way it is done in a, shall we say, normal setting, obviously it's nothing to do with religion at all. It's merely a technique to quieten the uncontrolled chatter that you tend to get in your head under certain circumstances. And interestingly, beyond mindfulness, um, there are also some natural responses to uncertainty and anxiety that you also Mm -hmm. uh, would be encouraged to overcome or address. And these were actually uh, referred to or referenced in a book by a man called Srini Pillay, and he's the author of a book, mm-hmm. Think Less, Learn More, uh-huh. Unlock the Power of the Unfocused Mind. I have seen this book before. Have you seen this book? Yeah. Now, I had a quick look at it when I was preparing the notes, but he goes on to say something really interesting, which I uh-huh. I have come across previously, but it's worth just spending a minute on uh-huh. We're going to come up to it very okay. shortly. But uh, anyway, Mr. Pillay, the author... He's an assistant professor of psychology at psychiatry, sorry, at Harvard Medical School. And uh, he says one of the most powerful, or he believes, one of the most uh, effective ways you can build resilience against uh, anxiety caused by risk taking is to tap into the power of our unfocused mind. Now, uh-huh. this is interesting because. Obviously, we all know about the conscious mind. It's apparently that thing that we use every day, right? Um, And basically, our conscious mind or brain uh, is the one that trains us to focus and use lessons from past experiences to make better present-time decisions. Mm -hmm. But um, according to uh, most experts, including... Uh, one of the world's most foremost cognitive neuroscientists, a, a man called <laughs> Michael S. Gazaniga, I think that is, Gazaniga, yeah. yeah. He, the thought now is that, <laughs> and this is hilarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people like this. Uh, <laughs> uh, that it's thought that between 90 and 98% of mental activity is unconscious. Mm-hmm. So literally... We're not there we're not most there. of the time. Yeah. We're just we're just kinda of like a passenger. <laughs> and every now and again we get to look through the eyeballs, you know, make the odd decision, listen to something. So <laughs> and, it, it, and there's some really interesting stuff written about this yeah. fact that we think we're like there all the time, but we're not. Mm-hmm. And it's kinda of like an illusion. Yeah. And it's weird, right? And anyway, so this um, this book talks about uh, how to become a better risk taker is to let your subconscious take over sometimes mm-hmm. in a structured way, shall we say. Um, yeah, under control. Yeah, kind of, you know, or a, a technique. In, you know, yeah. Like a technique. Yeah, develop that technique to... Um, basically, the idea is to let your... Kind of like I kind of call it freewheeling in my own uh-huh. terms. Kind of, some people actually call it daydreaming, and mm-hmm. I think I actually think daydreaming is really powerful oh, yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, the, I like that one. I, yeah, <laughs> well, we're men, right? Yeah, <laughs> we spend half our lives doing this. Um, and the, the interesting thing about whatever you want to call it, daydreaming, yeah. um, is that. What you tend to do is when you're kind of freewheeling, free associating, I think it's called as well, is that your mind is picking up on past memories and so Mm -hmm. on, but it's also in a very loose way trying to make connections. Yeah, there's no order in there. It's not structured and Uh the most incredible things can happen, right? Mm -hmm. But it's only if you let yourself go a bit. Mm -hmm. And obviously if if you have a very rigid approach to things, this could be revelatory, this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the practical steps that you can take, all of these appeal to me. Uh, resting is a good one. 
Yeah, napping. Having a nap. Yeah. I mean, just give me a prescription for this. I can do all of this, right? <laughs> uh, and he, I, I know people that do these power naps. Yeah, power napping. Well, 15 minutes, yeah. 20 minutes, and boom! Yeah. It's, it's like they sleep a whole night. Energizing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I hate to say it, but I do do it myself. But, and it, and it, is, yeah. it is very energizing in that you can have a, like a nap for 20... 20 minutes is supposed to be about optimum. Yeah. If you can have a nap for 20 minutes, the surge of energy, certainly mental energy you get, is amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. And and it's and it's unfortunate that there's a bit of a stigma attached to uh, napping, shall we say. Yeah. Some people would qualify it or classify it like you're being lazy. Yeah, exactly. And I actually think if... If people could do this in more normal work settings, I think people would be surprised. That's an interesting idea. You know, a work environment where you have an area where you can go and make a nap, a nap. I believe there are some companies that provide little little pods that you can Uh go and have a little power nap. I think it's a very enlightened idea. And uh, Mm -hmm. this, I think this idea of going to work for nine o'clock in the morning and being... You know, you got your eyeballs have got to be open at all mm. times until you go home at night. Is a is coming from an older time, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Once again, all yeah. v- point of views, all ways old to do school things. thinking, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're working in a factory, you can't take a nap while you're well, if you're on the doing production a, line, exactly right? while you're in production line, you can't. Yeah, but but who have does a, that, right? But you also have a break for lunch and so yeah. on. I think you could have also uh, um, breaks, hmm. uh, scalonated breaks, yeah, yeah. with people. Staggered, Stag- right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah staggered breaks. So, but the thing is, the time when the vast majority of people, if they didn't work on the land, worked mm-hmm. in a factory, it's all gone, right? Yeah, and it's, it's unfortunate that this isn't more accepted, acceptable, but uh-huh. it would appear that. We're still living in those not very enlightened times on that score. Uh-huh. So, um, so yeah, so there's, uh, as we say, resting. Yeah. We, we can all do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, napping, I would highly recommend that. Um, but the other one, there's another interesting technique you can use, <laughs> which is to actually uh, pretend to be somebody else. That gives you a, maybe a... Freedom, right? A perspective from outside, yeah, you know, I believe. It's like trying to step back yeah. and see yourself. Yeah. So this isn't uh, role-playing as such. It's just mm-hmm. just not being yourself, yeah. I suppose. Like step, yeah, I would call yeah, it step stepping back. back. Yeah, trying to step uh-huh. outside of your own yeah. restrictions that you're putting on you, mm-hmm. your actions and so on and so forth. So... A lot of it, then, you could categorize as uh, recalibrating your thinking, right? Yeah. Um, there was a, a very interesting example saying that it's better to act like an eccentric, eccentric poet mm. than a librarian. You exactly, know? exactly. That was a very the, rigid librarian. This kind of, yeah, everything has to be in its place yeah. and the place for everything and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so if you could, you know, assume the persona of a more... Uh-huh. creative individual for a period of time. Yeah. Even if it was for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Just have a go. Right? Yeah. Why not? Right? So, of course, this does require you to uh, re- or adjust your thinking. Uh-huh. And, of course, there are going to be challenges to those. And, uh, and we all have our reactions, our individual reactions, when we obviously try to move outside of our normal... Kind yeah, of. and you you mentioned it, I think, before. Mm. Our brain will always present us the worst outcomes possible. The, absolutely. And yeah. ourselves, we will always try to see the worst possible outcome of situations. That's right. And that limit, uh, limits our capacity right? to move ahead, yeah. change, or like we said, take that risk. Take a risk. And, you know, uh, in English we have this phrase about the rabbit caught in the headlights. Uh huh. Boom. You know where you're like, yeah. you're faced with you have to make a decision, mm-hmm. and you literally cannot move, mm-hmm. and your brain will not think, and it will not make a decision, 
this is the probably the worst case scenario of yeah. kind of frozen mm-hmm. kind of thinking, right? So, uh, as an example of you know how can you again address some of these issues, um, a psychotherapist, uh, Dina Goodman, who is an executive coach as well, she helps individuals uh, address what she calls catastrophic thinking. Yeah. Think the worst. Yeah, and these are these are patterns of thinking uh, that um, affect your ability to take risk, and these are the kinds of things you need to address. And what uh, Dina Goodman says is that most catastrophic thinking comes from a feeling of being out of control or not in control, uh-huh. and that uh, when we're out of control, we actually try to impose control and often this is done by latching on or to the worst possible outcomes of the situation and focusing on that uh-huh. and that uh, this fear of what might be coming next tends to drive irrational thinking that we have about ourselves and uh-huh. and of course we're all deadly worried about how other people are going to perceive us and we don't want to make mistakes and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, we come again to fear. It is fear, right? Fear. This yeah. reminds me that uh, Carlos Castaneda topic about fear. Uh-huh. You know, that actually he calls it one of the enemies of uh, men in the life of men, fear. Right, right. And the problem is, okay, fear also controls you to be too stupid. But you need to dominate fear. Hmm. And at the same time, you still have to have the respect for the fear. Mm. But when you're in control, then is when you acquire the power. Absolutely. And then it comes another problem. And yeah. thing, but then you're a problem for everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you reach another, another of his level, enemies, yeah. let's say, of right. humans or yeah. of men. And in fact, isn't, yeah. it, isn't it the case that, like, um, if you think about um, special forces uh, soldiers... Uh-huh. they are trained intensively to still be able to act and make decisions in life-threatening situations where yeah. they are frightened, inverted commas, but they actually kind of, how shall I say, deal with it. Yeah. They, 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 they have to try to keep their that fear in because control. that's what will yeah. make you survive as well. Yeah, because the fear will freeze you, right? Yes, but at the same time, you need to control it to be able to make the proper decisions in the moment. Yeah, or, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. And in fact, uh, as a, a recent example, there was a, a terrorist uh, bombing in London a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. Um, and I read a really interesting uh, article about a first responder. He was a policeman, mm-hmm. and he heard uh, that the commotion of the attack and obviously he's trained to not run away but to run toward right yeah so this is an unnatural response right uh-huh. and he said uh, he was being interviewed afterwards and he said i saw the strangest thing he said where i as a first responder i'm trained to do the opposite of what everybody else was doing, <laughs> yeah. which was running that way. Yeah. I had to run towards where the problem was. And he said, the interesting thing was when I got to the center of what was going on, he said there were uh, many members of the public just stood unmoving. Frozen there. Frozen. And there was yes. absolute chaos around them. And they were just stood there like statues. And that's a, very good example of mm-hmm. fear, fear completely locking you down, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's quite amazing. Anyway, back to how <laughs> can you deal with deal uh, with it, take risks, and, and go further. Yeah, fear and anxiety. Uh, this um, uh, psychiatrist, Goodman, uh, psychotherapist uh, Dina Goodman, she teaches a technique <laughs> where she uh, where she uh, suggests or advises her clients. Uh-huh to actually, when they find themselves in a situation where they feel the fear, shall we say, uh, maybe it's before a 
a public speaking engagement or whatever, she actually advises them to write down in the moment, mm-hmm. using whatever, uh, write down the thoughts briefly, and then for each one, think to themselves, so what? So what? So what? Yeah. What's, what's the problem? And basically to, to do that with each, um, each point, and what they actually find is that as they go through them, they actually realise that actually those things are not life and death. Yeah, brings the person back in control. It's perspective, right? Yeah, makes makes you be back in control. Yeah, yeah. and because you are in control of the situation, you can actually exactly be more clear in your decisions or take that step farther. Exactly, and she also um, says that uh, a person can get control over what feels to be an almost impossible situation. And she also recommends that uh, individuals, while they're doing this, also consider what the positive outcomes are from the thing that they're fearing. Mm -hmm. So on the premise you can overcome your anxieties, what are the positive things? And these are like, brings balance back to the situation because you're presumably obsessing on the negative stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So... What she finds is that somewhere along the way, people, individuals realize that in fact they'll actually survive most situations that involve some risk. And if they take this approach of analyzing the anxiety or fear that they're having by writing it down and just kind of dismissing it, shall we say, um, that in fact they actually come up with... um, on the hoof kind of alternative plans in case anything does go wrong. Mm-hmm. So they tend to be more able to think on their feet yeah. because they're not frozen again. They're more able to react uh-huh. to any given situation. Um, whereas had they given way to their fears, again, they would get shut down. Mm-hmm. Really quite interesting. So... Those are those, that's our main bit. We, yeah. We're just going to lead on to another little thing for a few minutes. Yeah, but, to taking a chance. So basically, what this is about, as you said, yeah. is taking a chance on yourself. We are the ones who are stopping ourselves, so why not try to trust ourselves a little bit? Yeah, and the thing about it is, you don't have to take a big risk. Mm-hmm. But you can take a small risk. You can take a micro risk. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't, I mean, there are endless examples, but you can, I suspect risk, like a lot of other things in life, is a matter of becoming acclimatized to it. So think of your everyday life and take a small risk. Yeah, you could even, I don't know, think like you never liked uh, other ice cream other than vanilla. Yeah, try. Try lemon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a calculated or a small risk to a take. Tiny, tiny risk, and and maybe you'll find over time yeah. that um, maybe um, it yeah. is survivable. There was another technique very interesting to make these kind of uh, changes and make you aware, mm-hmm. and which was to change from your daily routine to something in a different order. Right. So, for example, usually us as people, mm. we put the pants. In a certain way all the time, mm-hmm. we put our shoes in a certain way all the time. Mm-hmm. So if you're a person that always ties your shoes or put your right shoe first, mm. next day consciously do it differently. Try to put the left one first. Yeah. So this is like breaking. You're breaking habituated exactly. behavior. Exactly. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. This helps you become also more focused and more. Mm. Uh, well, you become. Co- you become aware of focused, what you're doing. Aware. Aware. Because yeah. you're doing it differently. Uh-huh. So it like you said, out. it's not you're out of that ninety percent of your unconscious mind, yeah, you yeah. know, ruling all the time. Yes, you might actually be allowed to look through your eyeballs for a, exactly. a few seconds and for a few seconds. <laughs> that already makes a change. Absolutely. And yeah. the fact that you were able to change that uh uh routine thing will also make you maybe more confident Absolutely. to move over. Exactly. And you will at some point uh, realize and accept that you actually can make the right choices. Mm-hmm. 
um, and are more able to cope with things when they don't go so well. Exactly. And you've just got to bear in mind that in this world that we live in, uh, there's always going to be risk, and there always will be risk when you're involved with any kind of innovation Uh or any kind of progress. So, So I think that kind of covers that. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on this final yeah. thing, which is this <laughs> emerging kind of global thing, which is, again, we tend not to talk about failure. And uh-huh. I, like you, think the best lessons are learnt in the mm-hmm. moments of failure. Of course. Right? And, um, again, we might talk about it over a pint, but you tend not to talk about it in a wider s- scope. Right, it just so happens that a couple of things have developed over the last few years that kind of address that shortcoming. So it's about sharing your experience of failure, and a couple of organisations. Oh yeah, have appeared around. Have appeared, and the first one actually, I don't. You may not have read these notes particularly, Rafa, but I did. The first one started in Mexico City. <laughs> and the, the first one is called the Failure Institute, Institute. right? Yeah. And basically, they now hold events in over 200 cities across 75 countries. It's only like a meetup, yeah, but for like, failures. It's kind of like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like a meet. Obviously, the people who are going are not necessarily failures now. No, but they have experience. It's failures. about sharing your experiences in failures yeah, and, and the, what you have learned about them. And the events follow a very quite nice format, I think. Yeah. So basically. Uh, for the Failure Institute, which is kind of addressed towards business, yeah, uh, an event goes something. Especially like, nowadays, that entrepreneurs and this absolutely. kind of thing is startups. Is yeah. this is the key of this, actually that? Absolutely. So you have three or four entrepreneurs who present their failure to the audience, and they have seven minutes, and they can use up to ten images, uh-huh. and then each presentation is followed by a question and answer session and networking over drinks. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, right? exactly. It's great. Uh, now we've we've included a link to uh, the, yes. the failure institute. You will find it in the show notes. And the reason why I mentioned to Rafa that it started actually in Mexico <laughs> City was because Rafa's from that place. Yeah. Um, so the aim of the events is to take the the sting, the shame, the guilt out of failure, uh-huh. share stories in a supportive environment, and figure out what could we have done differently. What what might have made it work. Uh-huh. Right? And that there is a there is a need. It recognises that there is a need in society for a place where failure, failure. can be shared in a free, yeah, because usually, environment. You know, there was a saying that uh, if somebody, I remember this from my, I think it was one of my grandfathers mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid, saying that I'm talking about in the beginning of the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, saying like uh, if when somebody asks you how are you. Never say that you are bad. Never say that you are wrong. Always say that I'm good. All right. Yeah. In a way, that becomes like a habit, actually. Yeah, yeah. But, you so, know, it's like putting all these things like failures and problems. Positivity, right? Yeah. Exactly. That comes out with that thing of the positivism and yeah, exactly. smiling face. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because there is this absolute classic of uh, neurological, psychological research, which is that um, literally forcing yourself to smile yeah. actually makes you feel better because it releases the feel-good hormones. Endorphins. The actually, the muscle movements actually do that, uh-huh. which is unbelievable, right? Yeah. And and free. And free. <laughs> uh, anyway, so talking about the Failure Institute, um, Yannick Quick, who's the CEO uh-huh. of the group, he says that uh, everyone fails. Yeah, everybody has failed at least and once. Anybody sure. who tells you they haven't are lying. Uh-huh. Uh, it is a universal phenomenon, obviously. Yes. There's a lot of knowledge there that no one is sharing and a lot of experiences there that would help other people in the same situation, and it becomes a source of inspiration. I think that's a really nice idea, the Failure Institute. Mm-hmm. It's very good. 
I would go to those yeah. meetups. I would like to go to one. That would be yeah. interesting. Anyway, there's another one. So that came out of uh, <laughs> south of the border. Yeah. And there's one from the north border, of the border. border. <laughs> <laughs> Crossing that. Across the Rio Grande. Yeah, and that uh, soon-to-be-new transparent wall. The transparent wall with the solar panels on it. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to be transparent with solar panels on it, but we'll not go into that. <laughs> he's, he's the Trump and he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Right? Anyway, so the, the, there is another group that actually came out of California. Yeah. And it's called Failcon. Failcon. I'm going to Failcon. Well, the thing is that you have Comic-Con. Exactly. And other cons there. Yeah. It might as well be a con, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they've got their own con called Failcon. Uh, it's been going quite a while. It was uh, the previous one, the Failure Institute. That's about five years old. Yeah. Uh, this one was started in 2009 in San Francisco. It was originally just a one-day conference for startup founders to learn uh, from and prepare for failure. And I like that. Yeah. To prepare learn from for, and prepare. prepare for failure because it is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has since been kind of reformatted and has become a kind of industry thing. And, uh-huh. and basically, uh, in the US now, it's quite common to have a startup funeral, <laughs> which I like that idea. Yeah. Uh, we've given links to these things. And also, there are startup post mortems, which is <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, so, so basically, obviously, the West Coast mantra of fail fast, fail often, and fail gracefully is interesting. One, yeah. It's a wonder. It's a wonderful mantra, and I, uh-huh. I do like it. It's not always fully embraced in the world or understood. I think. Yeah, I think of, it's hard. It is very hard. Well, it, it, it is hard because of societies. A lot of societies. Attitude towards failure. Yeah. And really, there's nothing wrong with failure, right? So, uh, yes, so that's Failcon. And um, the guy who is uh, running Failcon, which I can't find his... Oh, there he is. Cass Phillips. Cass Phillips, yeah. Who uh, runs Failcon. um, He said that the failure story, that is an individual's failure story ends with some sort of resiliency. In other words, it's strength built through failure, right? Mm-hmm. Strength built through failure. And um, it is interesting that he says, and I totally agree with it, and I think you agree, that without failure, people can't learn. Mm-hmm. It, is, it applies to all things in life, doesn't it? Yes. All kind of activities. Yeah. If there's no failure, yeah. you cannot learn out of this failure. Understand that what you did wrong, what yeah. went wrong with it. Yeah, what do I have to do now to make it To work? make it better, work. So, but, and so, you can apply to everything. Well, when we were children, when we were tiny children, we were learning to walk anything, play mm-hmm. with Lego, whatever it is. Yeah. Those were all products. Walking, the ability to walk is a product of many, many failures to walk, isn't it? Yeah, you fall down. Many times. Many times. And every time you learn something. Mm-hmm. And it applies generally to life, and I think this is Even what, to stand up. When a baby wants to stand up and move, first just roll yeah. around. Yeah. And then he learns that he can grab onto something. For support. Support, yeah. boom. Yeah. Woo. So, You're up. So this concept of um, embracing failure... Mm-hmm. Is, is actually nothing different to what we've all we've all been there. Uh, and if you can't recall a failure in your present life, shall we say, mm-hmm. you have a history of failure behind you. That's how you ended up where you are. Exactly. Yeah. So that is our end of our little yep subject today. subject of failure, and we will find also the oh yeah the link book. to the book. Um, Think Less, Learn, Learn more, more by the Dr. Uh, Zrini Pillai. Yeah. And you will find it also in the show notes. In the show notes, yeah. Uh, also, if you buy the book from there, it's from Book Depository. Oh, yes. We could get a small commission from that. That would be nice. That would be nice, yeah. will help us, you know, get yes. more coffee. Please buy this book. <laughs> <laughs> so, or any other book we have recommended in there. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. Well, I mean... Uh, interesting. We'll yeah. we'll 
talk about it for another minute yeah. shortly, but... Yeah, in the, in the final... I hope you um, enjoyed it. And, mm-hmm. uh, we'd be interested to hear about people's experience of... Yeah. So now let's go to... And then finally... Yes, let's do mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so uh, our and finally this week. Uh-huh, finally. Quite, quite interesting. We take a little trip into the garden, mm-hmm. the source of it, because... Uh, a team at Harvard University have come up with a really cool kind of invention development or whatever, and it's a glue, an adhesive that they're calling a bio glue, mm-hmm. and it is incredibly strong, and it can be applied internally in the body to organs that move, like your heart, your lungs. Yeah, but it sticks solidly to the surface and the surprise is where did it come from? Where did, mm-hmm. the, where did the inspiration, shall we say, come yeah. from? And the inspiration actually came from a garden slug. <laughs> yes. Now, we've all seen them, right? Slimy. It's little slimy things, sometimes carrying their house around on their mm-hmm. back, sometimes not. And basically they looked at a particular one called the Dusky Aryan slug uh-huh and uh the university's Wies institute for biologically inspired engineering which this truly is looked at what is it mm-hmm. about the mucus that this slug produces that makes it such a fantastic sticky stuff yeah. right well, it's a defense mechanism yeah well we've all seen slugs going up and down vertical walls and exactly and horizontally hanging that they look perfectly happy right Anyway, this team figured out how they're doing it and it inspired them to produce their own version of it, inspired Mm -hmm. by the the biology. And its stickiness, this bioglue, comes from um, kind of a three-way attraction between the positively charged glue and the neg- negatively charged cells in the body. Mm-hmm. So basically the the atoms of the object, the heart or whatever, the, t- yeah. the tissue and the glue are kind of drawn to each other like yeah, opposite poles of a uh-huh. magnet. Yeah, they're bonding literally at the atomic mm-hmm. level. Yeah. And to make it really robust, they coupled this the bioglue with a uh, shock absorber yeah. backing and um, the result is a glue that is apparently very cheap to manufacture, uh, is totally safe in the body because it's, it's safe. Uh, your body doesn't reject it or mm-hmm. anything. It's a perfectly natural thing. And um, it's elastic. It's, it's uh, elastic. It stretches. It, yeah. it is an incredible thing. And it's thought that it's going to up, open up huge opportunities and there mm-hmm. will be a, an incredible demand for it. And it can be used on the skin or as a liquid injected into wounds deeper in the body, which is unbelievable. Right? Yeah, and this elasticity helps a lot, for example, with what they call dynamic tissue, like yeah. heart or lungs. Stuff that's moving. Imagine right? the lungs, how much they inflate and move yeah. every time we breathe. Yeah. So to be able to patch it, patch it like... <laughs> <laughs> like a tire. Like fixing a bicycle tire. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. They need this kind of uh, properties on it. And yeah. it seems to be it's a great thing. A yeah. great development. And it only takes about three minutes to initially adhere to a surface. And then it gets stronger. And within an hour, it is as strong as the body's own cartilage. Mm-hmm. That is, is fantastic. Yeah. And they they also have ideas that... It could be used as a way of releasing drugs into certain parts of the body by loading the the uh, backing, the backing with the drug, and as the thing uh, is in place, it slowly leaches the drug into the uh-huh. interesting know, the correct location. So yeah, they are calling that this could be like uh, in the standard kit of surgeons. It just seems a fantastic yeah. thing, doesn't it? I mean, you can imagine it being used to seal wounds and all kinds of stuff, a, mm-hmm. a battlefield. Exactly. You know, technology. So, yeah, that is uh, this wonderful development of this bio glue. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it looks as if you're probably going to be seeing it somewhere yeah. quite soon, I would have thought, because mm-hmm. because it's uh, intrinsically safe. It's not like they've developed a drug or anything. It's not like going to be another 10 years before mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it comes onto the market. So I, I can imagine that's going to be available quite soon. Yeah. So a fantastic development. Great. And a good and final. And that's it for today. Thank you, Carl. Interesting topic. Yes, I liked it. Thank you, Rafa. Yeah, I think it's uh, uh, not talked about enough. Right? Yes, like you said, people need to learn to embrace failure. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with there it. There will always be failure. Yeah, in anything. If you're not failing, you're not trying. Mm-hmm. Simple. Exactly. Like you are not trying. Yeah. Uh, what was the phrase of uh, Yoda, Master Yoda? Oh, <laughs> there's no. Um, Can you do it in the voice, though? Uh, there's no try. Just oh yes, he doesn't want to know about trying. Just do it. Yeah, just do or don't. Yeah, do or don't. Make your mind something up. like that. Yeah, I got a you know. <laughs> you, got, you got a blind spot. Now. A blank spot there now. Yeah. But anyway, if you well, I think know medi- it better, just I think your medication's working. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the screens, all we need is the nurse. Yes, well, we heard the voice a little. We we heard the lady in the kitchen. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Thank you for listening. Remember, recommend our podcast if you like it. Mm. Uh, If you have the time and the will, give us some uh, rating and some... uh, Some comments. Some comments there or in the show notes or send us any kind of message you would like. Or suggest a subject. A topic, yeah. Suggest us a a subject. What would you like us to talk about? Mm. That would be good. Yeah. Okay. See you next week. Thank you, Carl. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. My name is Rafael Ruiz, by the way. Uh Bye-bye. All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. All rights reserved, Dark Mind Radio 2017.